Business Class is brought to you by the Tourism Academy, harnessing the power of science, business psychology, and adult education to advance the tourism industry and build sustainable economies. Learn how to engage your community, win over stakeholders, and get more visitors at tourismacademy.org. All right, so if you want to start by introducing yourself. My name is Elizabeth Semelhack, and I'm the director and senior curator of the Battersea Museum. Now, the Battersea Museum is in Toronto. It is. How did it come to be in Toronto? So it came to be in Toronto because uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bata uh, set up the world headquarters for the Battersea organization in Toronto um, a few years after the war. And... So as Mrs. Bada began to travel with her husband around the world, the Battashu Company, it has um, a presence globally. She made a very astute observation that people's feet are basically the same no matter where you go around the world, but what they have historically put on their feet is incredibly different. So she was sort of curious about those differences, began collecting and the next thing you knew, the collecting bug had really bitten, and she started collecting historic footwear as well. And finally, it got to the point where she either had to give up collecting or make a museum. And so she decided to build this museum here in downtown Toronto. And it's quite a large facility. It is, I know. Yeah, we have close to 15,000 artifacts now. And so the collection has grown, it keeps growing. We're lucky to be in a beautiful building designed by Raymond Moriyama. The idea of the building is that it's supposed to look like a shoebox with the lid slightly askew, um, sort of leading you to think what's inside. And we have four exhibition spaces. We have a permanent exhibition space, which is I like to think of it as a smorgasbord of shoes, letting people understand how shoes do play into things like different professions, religious expression, gender expression. Um, it sort of touches upon the history of footwear. And then we have three temporary exhibition spaces, which we, we change two of them each year. So there's always something new to see when visitors come. What do you want visitors to take away from an experience here? I think number one, I want people to understand that or walk away from here saying, I had no idea I could learn so much about culture by starting at their shoes. Shoes are a really interesting entry point into much larger cultural concepts and discussions. And so, you know, I think the person who thinks that shoes just have a simple job to do, um, protect your foot, would be hard-pressed if I asked them to put on the wrong, quote-unquote, wrong pair of shoes. They'd feel uncomfortable. That, it, that discomfort might be because of social ideas. It might be because of physical changes. It might be inappropriate for their work situation. And so I, I really want people, when they come here, to, one, come with an open mind, but then to leave going, oh, I just didn't realize how much you could learn by starting with shoes. Do you find yourself looking at the shoes that people wear and, and making assumptions or, or, or guesses about them? I actually um, worry about that, about people looking at my shoes when they figure out where I work. I'm really tempted um, to look under the desk and pick at your shoes. 
Okay. Oh, very sensible. Very classy. I like them. A beautiful um, gold buckle on them. They're they're by Roger Vivier. I um, I have written a couple of books on Vivier, and so uh, it has a personal connection to some of my work. Um, but yeah, you know, I think I I was trained as an art historian, and I think one of the things that um, working on footwear now for twenty two years has done is it means that when I go to a museum and I'm looking at a historic painting, I basically miss out on the upper <laughs> top 90% of the painting while I'm desperately trying to uh, study the footwear that's uh, image. And yes, of course, I'm always looking at people's shoes. I don't think I'm passing so much judgment on individuals as I am in trying to understand larger concepts of trends. You know, where are all the high heels currently? How many of us are wearing sneakers? Um, so I, I'm doing those kinds of assessments. So no fear. No okay. fear. <laughs> no judgment. So did you see what I'm wearing on my feet? I didn't yet. Okay. Okay. I see this. So Tevas. Yes. Yeah. What, would, what would that imply? Well, this is a very interesting form of footwear because historically, um, particularly in North America, we have had discomfort in seeing men's naked feet. Like if you think about the most appropriate footwear for formal occasions, for men, they wear tuxedos. They are literally covered from neck to trouser uh, length. And then they wear um, uh, usually a lace-up shoe. Women, on the other hand, for formal wear, often it's sleeveless and they are almost always in sandals, high-heeled sandals. And so you have this incredible difference in how much of the body is seen in these formal occasions. So for men, when um, uh, uh, Casual Friday came into existence, there was all of a sudden this incredible push that one day a week that men put aside their um, suited uniformity and they express something personal about themselves, what they really look like on the weekend. And so there, it's really actually interesting. There's panicked articles about what should I wear? <laughs> Advice columnists trying to help men figure this out. And so sneakers became something that men could turn to. It linked to ideas of masculine athleticism. But the other thing that happens is that men start to wear toe-revealing sandals. And this creates a huge amount of discomfort. <laughs> and so um, some of the sandals that men start to wear suggest athleticism. So the, so the sandals that you're wearing are linked to activity. They're not just flip-flops worn on the beach. They're linked to maybe you go hiking in them. Maybe you have some kind of interest in the great outdoors. So I think your choice is very much in keeping with um, expressions of masculinity, but at the same time, seeing men's toes remains uh, a bit um, challenging to some people. So you're taking a bit of a risk. Okay. I got that feeling and I was putting them on today too. So, And, so, and I think too, like with the, so the criticisms for men are that um, their feet are gnarly and yet at the same time, they shouldn't be doing things that are coded female, like getting a pedicure. And so they're caught betwixt and between. Um, if they want to have the freedom of wearing a pair of sandals, how do they present a foot that um, doesn't just get 
scorned upon. Well, I hope I don't have ugly toes. Well, That's... I'm not, I'm not looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> it was a big debate because I do travel full time. Yeah. My entire wardrobe is sitting 20 feet outside the front door of the Fairmont yeah. in my van. <laughs> yeah. And I'm um, like, do I really want to wear closed-toed shoes? Like, I travel all the time. I yeah. work from home. So, you know, it's a, it's a chore to put you, on closed-toed shoes. And you would think that in today's day and age... Who would care? But it's interesting to um, to consider these types of shoes and then trace them back and see where some of our discomfort uh, arises from. Is there a type of shoe you would never be caught dead in? Oh, goodness. That's a very interesting question, um, particularly as I age. Because I think that probably, you know, you even use the term sensible with my shoe, right? With my, the shoes that I'm wearing now, which are, you know, ballet flats. Um, (laughs) I think personally, I have become increasingly conscious or self-conscious about wearing things that are, that skew much younger than I am. Okay. Understandable. (laughs) Yeah. And how did you get your start in shoes? That's a good not, question. Not just the shoe museum, because, you know, you are, it, it, you know, a historian of shoes or an expert in shoes. I am. Um, and I didn't set out to be that. Certainly <laughs> when I was a kid, if you told me this is what I was going to do, I think I would have just looked at you wide-eyed um, uh, and questioned further. Uh, I did my graduate work in Japanese art history actually. Um, but while that sounds really far afield, there, there are many crossovers. So Japanese prints, um, in the 18th century were basically mass produced. They were created to be consumed at the moment of their creation. They, so they captured the interests of those moments, those fleeting moments. They were about promoting things like fashion, concepts of gender, And they were very much about making money. And so when I shifted my focus to footwear, I realized that a lot of the core questions I had about um, popular culture and mass-produced items in Japan, I could apply to shoes as well. I am definitely not, um, I realized I was not an art historian who's interested in the unique object artwork created by the unique maker to be purchased by the unique collector i'm much more interested in things that are meant to be consumed because if you if you make something and somehow and somehow millions of people want to have it that means that that item really is a good um, way of taking the pulse of a moment and so because i am interested in larger structures and thinking about um, power, societal power, uh, footwear is a really, really interesting tool, um, to try to, to use, to try to unlock some of those, uh, questions that I have. Do you personally enjoy travel? I do. Yes. What's your favorite travel experience so far? Oh, um, this is going to sound really cliche. Uh, you know, I'd done all my graduate work and everything in Japanese art history. So my focus had always been on Japan. Um, I had a very, very eye-opening experience uh, 
than when I traveled to Tanzania. Um, but uh, the thing that really caught me off guard was going to Paris. I kind of had had a bad attitude about Paris. <laughs> I was, um, prior to going, my first time, believe it or not, was only in 2011. Um, I just, I just thought it was so cliche and everybody loved Paris and, and I went there and I, I, I was transformed. I really, really, there's something about that city, its history, um, the sheer beauty of that space. I love cities. I love New York, Tokyo, Paris. So yeah. What kind of experiences do you look for when you're traveling? Uh, so I think that as a historian, what I really like to do is to consider who, who was walking in the space that I'm currently inhabiting before I got there. I like to think about how the space was created, why it was created, how it had been altered, what it might have been like a hundred years ago, 500 years ago. Um, so of course I like to go to historic buildings, historic homes, museums. I like, but at the same time, I also like to wander. I like to travel alone. Um, so I like to take in a, a physical city space from different vantage points. So if it's, uh, taking a boat tour or just, yeah, I think it's 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 physically exploring the space, but always through that lens of um, what was here before. So I end up reading like histories of the cities and visiting things like that before going. You mentioned you like to travel alone. I and do. It's something that I do. Yeah. I mean, every day. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I hear a lot of people are hesitant to travel alone. Yeah, and I can understand um, some trepidation about traveling alone but I think that once you sort of do it the first time and you realize that you can rely on yourself that you can figure out different spaces um I think there's something very nice about and maybe it's because uh I know I work in a museum but it is like an ER in terms of the work pace here mm -hmm. um and so I I find that when I'm able to travel alone, not to say I don't like it, that I don't like traveling with friends, but I'm able to just do things at my own pace. And so I definitely appreciate that. What is something that you did as a child and really enjoyed, but you don't do much of anymore and you wish you did? <laughs> Actually, I feel like the job that I have is exactly what I did as a child. Um, and so I think actually that's a secret to happiness. I, I was very lucky to have a, a playhouse in the back of my, my yard and it was historic. And so I became really interested in researching the time period it represented and trying to figure out what people ate back then. And I do all this research, 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 read, 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 read. And then every winter, again, very privileged background, um, my dad would build an ice rink in the backyard. 
and I would put on the ice paints and sing and dance. (laughs) (laughs) And so I realized that that's what I do now. I do all this research and then I put on shows. And so I feel like I'm living the dream. Um, So I don't know what I did as a child that I don't get to do as much now. Um, Yeah, I think I'm so what's lucky what's the secret then to creating exhibits that the consumer will enjoy well i personally think that learning is joy so i've given this example a number of times and it is i know for a fact that the majority of us love to learn because the majority of us like jokes being told a joke is trusting the joke teller that they're going to lead you down a path and then reveal something to you unexpected that is going to delight you. And I feel like that is the job of the curator. That is the job of an author. So what I try to do with my exhibitions here is curate an exhibition so that you trust that you'll learn something. But in the end, I want to twist it so that you go, oh, I see it now. I get it. And that the joy of getting it, that's what makes you laugh when you hear a good joke. The joy of getting something is learning. And so I feel like the best exhibits are the ones that can have you leave the museum, which is your first question to me, which is what do you want people to leave the museum saying, it's like, I never knew, I never knew that. I never knew that I could learn that much from shoots or that I could learn this new fact. Who do you look up to as a role model? Um, it's a very good question. I think there are um, many curators who are doing really, really interesting work. I think there are many creatives who are doing really interesting work. I think that one of the things that I've been able to do recently, so for example, we have an exhibition called Future Now, uh, which is open right now, and it's looking at the future of footwear. So it's talking, so I was able to talk to 18 creatives working right now about their visions for the future. They're very inspiring. I like people who um, can come at a topic from left field. I, I, and so it's, it's not a single individual I'm going to give you. It's a way of thinking that I'm going to give you. It's, it's taking what's often directly in front of us. I think this is also why I like to work with footwear, something that can be thought of as not mattering. And then asking the questions of why does it matter? And so, um, there are lots of people who are considering things like sustainability, um, new materials, mushroom leather, uh, new fabrication possibilities, social justice and footwear, um, really interesting uh, thinking going on in the footwear space. And also uh, what does the metaverse hold for new concepts around what we can put on our avatar bodies? I think is also a really interesting um, horizon that we're that we're just starting to see right now. How would you want your staff to describe you? 
<laughs> Fair and funny. <laughs> you, you laugh when you think about that one. Why is that? Um, I haven't been the director here for too long, um, but I have worked here since uh, 2000. So, it was, yeah, it, I, I, I guess I would hope that the staff would think that I was fair um, and but that at the same time that um, that there was joy working here. What, how would you define your impact on the people around you and the world around you? Or how would you like to? Oh God, I, I don't know. Um, like I said, if, if anybody gets a spark of insight, um, then I'm happy. Is there anything I didn't ask that you wish I did? <laughs> uh, it's also a good question. I think, I think that um, the reasons why people should visit this museum are one, because footwear, as I've said many times, it really is an interesting stepping stone into larger cultural concepts. Also, I really want people to understand that fashion isn't frivolous. Fashion is one of the central economic engines of the world. It is something that we engage with every single day when we step out of the shower. What are we going to put on our bodies? What messages do we think we can make in the, in the world? What messages will the world read by what we have put on our bodies? These are principled and hugely important limitations, opportunities, and that if we are interested in, as a broader society in changing and challenging um, some longstanding inequities, a serious contemplation of fashion is central to um, addressing these issues. So, yeah, I think that it's a, you know, you, you asked me how, if I want to, what, what I want staff to think of, and I want it to be fair and fun, but I also want it to, I, 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 I would like the museum, I'd like the work that we do here to also be taken as seriously as um, it deserves. <laughs> if folks want to learn more about visiting here. Absolutely. Um, they can uh, go to the webpage, uh, ca. They can sign up for our weekly newsletter. We do tons online. I mean, that was a huge pivot, right, that had happened during COVID. So they can join us from any place in the world for our salon series lectures, for all of the videos that we offer. Um, follow us on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. Uh, we are constantly producing um, content that I, that's accessible and hopefully um, of interest. Fantastic. Thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. Thank you so much.